Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. It's estimated that one in four women will have a miscarriage. That is a very high number for something we don't talk a lot about. Tahina McManus is an actress, and if I'm being completely honest, one I was quite obsessed with back in her X-Men and Blue Water days. (laughs) She's also a director, a writer, producer, and the co-founder of an all-female-led production company, Neon Jane Productions. She's also been through several miscarriages, and she chose to do something quite extraordinary. Talk about it. In 2017, she began filming her feature documentary, Misunderstandings of Miscarriage which aimed to shatter the silence and grief surrounding pregnancy loss, and she did this while simultaneously documenting her own traumatic journey through miscarriage. Tahina, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us, and, and thank you so much for shining a spotlight on this topic that remains something that people find very difficult to discuss. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, it goes back to what you were saying a little bit before, was that this idea of shame around miscarriage. And I think for a number of families, or certainly in my experience, the shame and guilt surrounding miscarriage adds to that taboo. And that's why I feel like it was just, or certainly the conversation is changing, but it was silenced for so long uh, because of that guilt and that shame associated with pregnancy loss. Why shame? This is something that I've never understood. And is is it because I'm not a female, I'm not a mum, I've never carried a baby. Why shame? I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, whether you're male or female. It's, it goes back to this sort of repressed feelings of guilt and grieving a loss of something that isn't real, I suppose, was this idea. So I really started to explore that myself because it was part of the reason why I was documenting my journey was that I couldn't understand why I felt so shameful. And that was the whole reason you know, and, and a very big part of the documentary was kind of figuring out where this shame came from. And a lot of it is this idea that there's this hierarchy of grief. So if you fall pregnant and let's say you're two weeks along and you lose that baby, it's you are basically not allowed to grieve or certainly what I felt, and I guess the women that I spoke with, that we felt unentitled to grieve at that period versus someone who had physically lost a child, a living child outside of the womb. Um, And and, and it goes also for late-term pregnancy. So there was this hierarchy of grief, which I think adds to the shame. So you weren't really, or certainly in my experience, I wasn't allowed to feel like I could grieve. And then the other part was just this idea of motherhood and womanhood being synonymous with one another. And, um, and I do think that extends to fatherhood as well. I think like, certainly I know my partner was struggling with this idea of like, well, was it something that I did wrong? Was it something that you did wrong? Like, because there was no information or understanding around miscarriage. And, you know, I do think those, um, boundaries are being broken, but I think that shame really came from just not understanding what was the experience. So miscarriage is defined as the loss of a baby under 20 weeks of gestation, 20 weeks of pregnancy, roughly halfway, your first pregnancy resulted in miscarriage at six weeks. Did you know anything about 
miscarriage? What what was your perception? What were your thoughts about it prior to that pregnancy? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I was uh, 28 years old. Uh, we started trying in 2014, 2015. So we fell pregnant very early on. So it was a planned pregnancy. I had very strong symptoms and it was just, we were so elated and so excited. So we told our family members, we we had planned out the next 20 years of our lives based on those two positive lines on, on the pregnancy test. And then when that pregnancy resulted in miscarriage, it was like the whole world that we had created had imploded on us. And I guess because I had no information, I, I had heard you know, I, I had heard of miscarriage, but I really never thought it would happen to me. And then, you know, subsequently I went on my own kind of research discovery and was, and yeah, I was shocked to kind of find out that one in four pregnancies end in loss. And, and I guess because I was young and healthy and Tristan was young and healthy, we just didn't expect it to happen to us. And the more I spoke with people, then I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, you've experienced loss, you've experienced loss, you've, how come no one how come we haven't spoken about this? Like, or am I just the crazy one feeling so unbelievably hurt by this? So it was just, it was a really, um, that first miscarriage was a real eye opener into, I guess, the realities and, you know, the commonality of pregnancy loss. Commonality indeed. We're talking about almost 300 miscarriages a day. That's one every few mm-hmm. minutes in this country, mm-hmm. a country that has 300,000 babies born a year. So we're talking about something that impacts fam- you know, more than 100,000 couples each year, and many of those couples are experiencing it not for the first time as well. So it is, it's unbelievably common. What I want to ask you about specifically, before we delve into your own personal experience, there's a lot of emotive language surrounding this topic. And, you know, there's even religious influence as well in terms of what is recognized as a, a fetus, a living thing. There's legal aspects. There's mm-hmm. the, the language, even the term miscarriage, it's like a, a failure of the carriage of the baby. There's words like missed abortion, failed pregnancy. Do you think the language needs to change? I do. And th- the thing is, and I completely understand, and it was part of my whole exploration is I never wanted to paint the medical professions as the bad guys in terms of language, because I, I experienced it in my own world that, you know, it was like, well, the loss of pregnancy cells. And in my mind, well, it was a baby. And I had to kind of disassociate a group of cells versus a baby and all that. And I really needed to understand from the medical professionals how they see things. So I understand that this is probably an ongoing conversation. And I don't think there's one blanket approach, because like you said, I think there's religious beliefs, there's legal beliefs, there's there's a whole myriad of reasons why it's open for discussion. But I, I certainly think in terms of the uh, conversation, if we can just start to broaden the conversation a little bit more for each individual experience. Mm. I think each individual experience is very important. We're not all the same. And, you know, I did speak to women and men who were very pragmatic about it and very much like, you know, it it was just a, a fetus and we were seven weeks along and we, you know, decided that we'll go down the IVF. And that's how they sort of processed it in their mind, where I spoke with other families who were very, very, uh, like you said, emotionally connected and it was a baby and it was so, it's different um, different experiences. But certainly I think if we can start with opening a conversation about broadening that language and maybe have a deeper, compassionate 
side. And I know it's very hard for people when you, like you said, 300 miscarriages a day for, for medical professionals, I'm sure it's really hard, but to treat each patient as an individual rather than like a group blanket approach. Absolutely. On this podcast alone, I'm thinking of previous guests and, you know, mm-hmm. I spoke with Belle Sloan, who, Belle and Rory, who experienced the stillbirth and they talk about, you know, if someone asks her, how many children do you have? I've got four children, but one isn't with us, is the way she answers that question. Mm-hmm. If I was to say to you, I know you've got three children. If I said to you, met you randomly, said, oh, hi, Tahina, you know, have you got kids? What's your answer? Uh, I, I, well, it depends how close you are to me, um, but I do say three children and I would recognise that I've had three who aren't here with us. That's how I would word my miscarriages. So three children that are here and three that aren't here. So it's interesting medically when we, I mean, I've, just attended a cesarean an hour ago. And, you know, when we look at, you talk about taking emotion out of it, when we, from a medical point of view, look at women, they're classified as a G and a P. Gravida means how many times they've been pregnant and P means how many Mm -hmm. times they've delivered a child. So we would refer to you as G6P3 if someone has had three children, three live children and three miscarriages, um, you know, G7, if it was twins, whatever. So we very much from a medical scientific perspective count those pregnancies because of the implications from a health point of view. But it is really interesting. And I think that as a result of the work that people like you do to shine a spotlight on this conversation, people are more and more empowered to talk about children who aren't with us, who may never have been born alive, but still hold such an important place in that family, in the hearts of those family members. Yes, absolutely. Another person, Emma Murray, who we had on, and I'm jumping around with questions here because I just wanted, there's so many things I want to pick your brain about. She (laughs) talked about the pregnancy being so unique, a pregnancy that didn't continue. She talked about, she said, I was the only one who was connected to this human, completely connected, literally by a cord, and no one else had that connection. And therefore, she felt that no one else could understand her loss or could appreciate it. Did you feel alone in your experience? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. And I, you know, stressed definitely with my first loss, that was such a silent battle that I, and again, because I didn't understand the overwhelming grief, I think that was the hardest part was that I had never felt more in love with something than that first pregnancy. I, I, I really have never like, I mean, I've experienced joy beyond levels with my three children, but I, that first pregnancy was just such an overwhelming connection. I mean, yeah, like I said, I had, I had planned out this future and when that subsequently ended in miscarriage and it, and it, and because the physicality of miscarriage is quite graphic, you know, it's not certainly for my first one, it was horrendous. It was, I woke up with excruciating pain, but going to bed at night going like, I can't wait for this baby to, you know, I can't wait for my belly to pop. I can't wait for this. And gosh, I have morning sickness, but my goodness, do I love this. And, and so when I woke up with that stabbing pain and blood down my legs, and I immediately went, something so awful has happened oh my goodness, and running to the bathroom and being so confused and so conflicted and 
and so desperate, please, 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 please don't, please nothing be wrong, please nothing be wrong. And then going to the emergency room and being told that, I'm so sorry, but you know, you've lost your pregnancy. And it was just, and I remember sitting in the waiting room and like just heavily bleeding and in, in terrible amount of pain and Googling like, could this be normal? Could, could, is it, is there any chance? Is there any hope? And, you know, everything was just pretty much leading me towards this answer of no, but because I was so connected, I just thought, God, no, not, please not me, not me. So when it did happen, yeah, I just went into an immediate shutdown. And I remember locking myself in the room. We were living in LA at the time and had roommates and everything. Like my husband and I were like in a big shared house (laughs) and I shut the door and um, just locked myself in there and was alone for like good 12 hours, just not sure what to do next. And your husband, Tristan, mm. what was his experience? Um, he dealt with it. Tristan and I have very different ways of dealing with our stuff. And Tristan immediately shuts down. So he immediately went into shutdown mode and did his best to try and support me, but didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do. So we kind of went on this silent path and he buried himself in work and I buried myself in whatever I could to keep busy. And we went, I went traveling with him and just anything to keep myself busy. But, you know, the more I, the, you know, as time has passed, we both started to break down that particular period. We both realized like, oh, that was your way of processing it. And I didn't know that he was feeling a lot of the things that I was feeling, but we just didn't communicate it at the time. Communicate, I'm not type word that right, but we didn't speak about it at the mm. time. So, um, and I, I see that, you know, certainly a lot of the couples that I spoke with and a lot of the women and, and um, even men that I've spoken with said, look, it, it just became like my own battle because it was, it's a confusing grief. It's a confusing loss. So he, after the fact, you connected and realized that he also had the same grief, the same loss, the loss of the sadness for the loss of the future that you'd envisaged? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, he sort of brought up the same things. He was like, oh yeah, I, I did. I thought about like our future and, you know, what I would need to do as a, as a man to work and, you know, keep food on the table, like this sort of very staunch man uh, feeling. And, and um, he said, when that was all sort of taken away, you know, he, I, I found out that he had blamed himself for, cause you know, Tristan used to love a whiskey back in the day. And, and he was like, you know, I used to think it was my dream. And it, just all these bizarre things that you think, oh my goodness, you were going through this big pattern of self-blame. And I was going through this big pattern of self-blame. So it's, um, it just goes probably to a deeper thing of, of communication as, you know, like it, it extends beyond pregnancy loss, probably in, in all facets of life of just being able to communicate those things. And you mentioned that you were living in LA at the moment. So I imagine your parents, Yvonne, Nicola, your sister, Cheyenne, they're not around you to support you during No this. one was around. Yeah, no one was around. I had called a good friend of mine um, who was living there and she was sort of the first of my circle of friends in the States to have a baby. And then I found out that she had had a miscarriage and I didn't know that at the time either. So she said, oh yeah, I've, be- I've experienced that in my friend. And then all of a sudden that's when the, I guess the floodgates opened and I really started to see this sort of common thread between so many stories I was starting to hear. After that pregnancy, you fell pregnant with Echo. What was that experience like, That the early stages of pregnancy compared with your first? 
Um, I was very fearful, certainly in, in the early stages of my pregnancy. And again, you know, I think it was such a mixed emotion because it was a surprise, like, echo we 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 were like let's just we'll keep trying and then I just didn't think it would happen so quickly and then I fell pregnant with echo so quickly and so there was this fear surrounding losing that pregnancy but by the time I sort of got to I want to say about 18 weeks I started to really relax into that pregnancy and again like that that overwhelming feeling of love like I have never been in like I had never even met her but I knew her and I loved her beyond measure before she even showed her face into this world so I was anything I had experienced before that I sort of pushed way down because it was trumped by this overwhelming joy with Echo. Now Echo is now seven Mm -hmm. but your first experience was not your last experience with miscarriage and your second episode happened later. It was 12, 14 weeks around that time. In what ways were the two experiences different? Yeah. So the second miscarriage happened. Um, I thought I had sort of, okay, I've had my miscarriage. That's, that's it. Then I guess I, that's my me done. I've done that now. And then we started planning to give Echo a sibling. And so we started trying again and fell pregnant really quickly. And Again, very strong symptoms. I, like I, I get very bad morning sickness, and and I just I I knew I was pregnant. And again, I felt real. I felt really confident with this pregnancy. I felt really content, happy. Everyone from Ireland at the time was flying to Australia, and and so we announced on Christmas morning that we were pregnant again. Um, and so you know, Santa was bringing Echo a little brother or sister. But actually before that announcement, two days before, I had to go get just a routine scan. And they said that, oh, you're measuring a little bit smaller than because I was at that point closer to maybe eight weeks or nine weeks along. And they're like, oh, you're measuring just a little bit smaller, um, but you might have your dates wrong. So just let's come back. And then three weeks later, I went back in and the sonographer was just looking and looking and looking and there was just deathly silence. And I remember going, that's not right. That's, you're supposed to hear that heartbeat. And then she turned to me and said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And again, I just, everything imploded the world. Like I just thought, I, how is this happening again? And that pregnancy was unfortunately a little bit more complicated because I wasn't naturally miscarrying. So the recommendation was just to naturally miscarry. And so I had to wait. And I know this just sounds so morbidly awful, but like I was, I had this dead fetus inside and I was just walking around waiting to start to bleed. And I had to wait for weeks. And then when I did start to bleed, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't start, I didn't start bleeding till about three weeks later. And then I just kept bleeding and kept bleeding and kept bleeding. So my body didn't, uh, What's the what's the word that they use? But basically, my body didn't um, eject. Eject, yeah, didn't eject the re- the pregnancy. So I had all this. Uh, um, my doctor at the time said, like, pregnancy matter, pregnancy matter, yeah, left. retained products, and yeah. retained products. Correct, that mm. was the exact. And so I had all this retained pregnancy products. So then I had to get a DNC. And so then was it, that not offered to you at, at the point 
of miscarriage? No, I was told to, I was told to just naturally, like just wait until, and like maybe they expected for me to miscarry quicker. I, I don't know, but I remember just waiting and waiting and thinking like, when is this? And feeling all these symptoms. So I, again, you hold on to this hope. Like me, I'm, I'm such an optimist in that way, but I was, well, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe they got, because I have heard stories that, you know, then all of a sudden they go, and there is a heartbeat. And so I was like, maybe they've got that wrong. And then again, yeah, once the bleeding started, um, just it just went on for so long. So yeah, that's at about the 14-week mark. That's, yeah, 14 or 15, 14 week mark. I think that's when I went and got the DNC. Then fast forwarding through your family journey, you had your second <laughs> child, Oshin, followed by yet another miscarriage. That's three miscarriages at this point. What's the impact of this on you, this recurrent repeat trauma? Yeah. Well, so the second miscarriage is what spurred me to start documenting. And so then I actually had the third miscarriage prior to Oshin. Oh, right. So it was, um, so I had two, and then I thought, well, that must be it for me. That that's it for me. So um, that's it for you in the, terms of being able to carry successfully. Correct. Yeah. Yes, I I really went into that sort of headspace of like, that's it. And not that I I lost complete hope, but I remember feeling like, well, just be grateful. I remember being sort of beating myself up again and being like, well, can't you just be grateful? Just be grateful that you have a healthy child. And and because I think I was going through the documentary as well, I think that added like another layer on top because I was hearing all sorts of stories. And I wanted to be a a really big support rock system for all the women that I was meeting, but secretly going through my own battle that I just, I think because I just soldiered on so much, I didn't really quite process it until way after the birth of Oshin, way after the birth of Oshin, yeah. Speaking of your documentary, it follows the stories of many women who've also been through this this experience, were you almost like a counsellor for them? Were you just asking questions and opening the floodgates, as you said? What what was your what did you see your role was? Um, to be honest, it was sort of a bit of both. Like I never, I never intended to go out to make this big documentary. Like honestly, I I started recording my experience because I felt like all right, there's something not right here and I am so devastated and surely there's someone else out there who's experiencing what I'm experiencing. So maybe, and I remember speaking to my producing partner and being like, you know, maybe I'll just do this little like YouTube channel so then women have a platform of what I'm going through and maybe they can find some sort of comfort in that. And she encouraged me to just sort of keep recording and 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 it turned into the do- the documentary. So I sort of found myself being a little bit of both just that open ear, but because I fell pregnant with Oshin at the time, right in the middle of filming, things got a little bit complicated because I, I remember being 30 weeks along or something like that and sitting there speaking with women who had lost their babies at 32 weeks and sort of, you know, trying not to put myself in any sort of kind of anxious state but I, I wanted to support them, but also I didn't want to let their story impact me enough that I would completely panic. So it was it was so complex. It's really and complicated hard because and I imagine you also don't want your pregnancy to impact them. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. So I struggled being there, pregnant, talking to them about it, 
And so it was very complex. But, you know, I guess that's the beautiful thing about the whole journey was that the women I met along the way and the stories and we sort of all bonded. And then, and then you sort of open up your arms to just humanity and you go, gosh, aren't we, aren't we just so lucky to be on planet Earth with all these beautiful people that are like this big community? And that's one thing that I've noticed since, since talking about it and, and just the people that I have met. But certainly I, I have felt a bit of a pressure with the duty of care because of, because of what I've shared. And it's very hard because I, I have so many people come to me to requesting help and, and it got a bit overwhelming at some point because I just, I didn't know what else I could offer people except my experience. And I didn't know what else to say because I know that pain and that grief and there's nothing really you can say. So there was a little bit of, I guess, um, pressure on my end for that duty of care, but I was very fortunate to sort of partner up with like Pink Elephants and other support networks that were able to, that I could direct people towards, which is something that I didn't have back in when mm. I was experiencing loss. And you mentioned a bond that you formed with these women. Do, was mm -hmm. there a common theme, a common denominator among all of their experiences? Um, definitely uh, the shame, the stigma, the guilt, this kind of shared experience of like, why did we feel that? And really trying to sort of break that down. So there was definitely that that common thread between us and that idea of that this is a secret battle we have to face alone. And yeah, certainly that seemed to be a real common theme. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to explore and that's why I was saying womanhood and, um, and motherhood being synonymous with one of each other because there's so many variations of what parenthood looks like these days. Mm. So I never wanted the film to be like, you know, you go through your loss, but don't worry, you will get pregnant one day because that's not the truth. Mm. Correct. Like, unfortunately, that's not the truth. It. I was so lucky that that happened for me, but I met so many women and I know so many women who that hasn't that hasn't happened. So I really wanted to make sure that I was representing all the stories and all, but really just focusing on dealing with that grief and figuring out how to process that grief so you can move forward in life and acknowledging that grief. And through the process of filmmaking and storytelling, have you come to a conclusion about what the major misunderstandings of miscarriage are? I think oh, it's it, there's there's many. So what I really sort of wanted to show and what I think I've sort of come to in that full journey was that the biggest misunderstanding from my perspective was the feeling of grief around it and acknowledging that grief. So it was, why do I grieve this way? And how do I process that grief? Because like I said, there was that hierarchy. Well, you lost your baby at two weeks. I lost my baby at 21 weeks. So it was just, there's no hierarchy of grief when you see that positive test and and you have been planning to have a child, you are just as much entitled to grieve that loss as someone who has lost their baby at 32 weeks. And it's not discounting either one. It's you are allowed to feel whatever comes up for you. And I think the biggest understanding what I, what I really wanted to express and what I think I did, did get across was that acknowledging that grief. So whatever that looks like in terms of, you know, for me, making the film was my acknowledgement of the three children that aren't here. And, um, you know, acknowledging that this film was my little ode to them. And I think I met other, you know, I met other women who planted a lemon tree, who bought jewellery, who got tattoos, anything that felt like they were still connected to that period. And it, it, you know, grief has no time. So 
whatever helps them process and, and move on. And certainly that's what the film was for me. Let's pivot now and talk about the why, because that is very often a question that goes unanswered. Were you personally ever given a reason as to why your miscarriages occurred and recurred? I was not. No. Um, I was never told. I, and I think at the time of my third miscarriage, the doctor I saw said, okay, we're probably at the point now where we want to explore why this is happening. And certainly I, yeah, I, and then I felt pregnant with Oshin. But at the, again, during my period, I was, I was never told why. And I still think even today we have a hard time comprehending the why because there's, there's silly things. Like I'm sure, as you know, as a doctor, women come in and go, look, I, I had an extra cup of coffee. Could that be why? Or mm. I went for a jog or could that be why? And a lot of the time it's just biologically, it didn't work. Like, you know, there's no scientific actual reason. Just biologically it didn't work. And that's the medical breakdown of it. But I know for every, again, it's, it's an individual experience. So struggling with the why is is very hard and it's hard not to take that personal because you want to take control, right? You, Absolutely. you want to be able to fix it. So I'm sure from your perspective, you're trying to explain to women, these are the reasons why and this is what you have control over and this is what you what you don't. Yeah. I mean, we estimate, we don't know because it's something that we don't always find out. We estimate that about two thirds of cases are res- a result of a, a congenital problem, mm-hmm. which is usually genetics, chromosome related. It was not, and, we use, and I, I hate talking about, you know, th- this language because it is so sterile and clinical, but you know, it wasn't viable. It would never have eventuated anyway. Um, yes. There are some maternal reasons there are, you know, infections can cause this, but so often the answer is unknown. And I feel like that space, that chasm of unknown typically just gets filled with guilt. Like you mentioned Tristan worrying about, did he drink too much? You mentioning, did mm. I go for one too many jogs? It's so parental to yes. work on the assumption that you've done something wrong. Yes. Yeah. And it's, hum- it's human nature, right? It because is. you think, well, this is, isn't this what I'm just supposed to do as, you know, procreate? And when it doesn't happen so easily, you sort of think, well, what is wrong? What mm. is wrong? What have I done? But I think, again, opening that conversation and really understanding that, you know, it is so common and it's not all doom and gloom. And I think that's that was a big thing as well. I think just the negative space around it is quite hard to shake, you know, because especially after recurrent miscarriages, then you go into a whole psychological negative space. And, and that's tricky. That's, that's another layer on top. Mm. Now, we do know that so many of these cases of miscarriage we don't have an answer for, but there's also some quite fascinating statistics that show it's more common in, you know, women under 20, women over 40, but also the incidence is much higher in remote communities of Australia, First Nations people, disadvantaged women who smoke. Do you think we as a country and the government, public health-wise, are we doing enough to support these women? Um, it's a really tricky one. Uh, I don't think so, no. Simply because of, I don't need to look too far to, I don't need to look too far out of my own experience to to answer that question because I wasn't offered any sort of support, you know, when I was told that there's no viable pregnancy. And certainly I think there could be more support out there or, and I don't, you know, when, when I get asked, like, what does that look like? 
I don't really know yet, but certainly maybe maybe it starts with something that is something that's within the medical community that is like, you know, if you go into a sonography office and you're told that you have you have lost your baby, is there something that we can offer the the woman there, right there, right then, that they can take away so they don't have to live in this big unknown for days, weeks, months, whatever that looks like. So I think there's always more to be done. Absolutely. And what is your message from your heart for someone who's going through this? If you could talk to that woman a minute after she's given that news, what would you say to her? (sighs) It's so tricky because it's so easy to say everything will be okay. It's so easy to say that, but it's such a cop out because it's, it's not, you'll feel everything. You will feel every emotion under the sun. You will feel angry. You will feel sad. You will feel like this is okay. You will go back down. It's all the layers of grief that comes along with any type of loss, but you will get through it. And it is not your fault. You are not to blame. It is not your partner's fault. You know, they're not to blame. This is just something that does happen. And let yourself feel everything. Don't put a timeline on it. Just let yourself feel everything. I think a lot of people in the community, whether they are parents or not, especially if they're not, they find it really difficult. They find it difficult to have that conversation. You know, as you said, everyone in your circle of family and friends knows you're pregnant. And then the information is disseminated that the there's been a miscarriage. What, what, do you say to those people who they, they really want to do the right thing, but they're just not sure what to say? Do you send a text? Uh, uh, are you sorry for their loss? I've heard people say, don't worry, you'll get pregnant again, as you mentioned, which is not always true. What, mm. what do you say to other people who want to acknowledge that that couple, that intended mother has lost a pregnancy? What is the right thing? What is the, the safe thing and the heartfelt thing to say? This sort of goes back to what you were asking before, like the general misunderstandings, because so much was it of of families and friends. How do they even begin to support you? The biggest thing that I think you could take away is to not dismiss the feelings. And and Pink Elephant's um, support network used this whole at least campaign. So no no using of at least you can fall pregnant or at least it was only three weeks along or at least this or at least that. Or like you said, just get back on and, you know, you'll fall pregnant. I think just acknowledging the loss and offer support. I'm here if you if you need anything. I'm, I'm, I'm here if you need anything. Yeah, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, does it? It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Just just acknowledging this is really a hurtful time for you. I'm here if you need. And that and that's it. Now, talk to me about your three beautiful children today, Echo, Oshin and Tyke. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Echo and Oshin and Tyke was a, believe it or not, I had just done all the special thank yous for the credits for the film. We were just about to deliver it. Signed off on it and someone brought me a cup of coffee and I was like, great, let's get this film out there. And I was like, I feel really sick. So sick. (laughs) Nervous about the film maybe? (laughs) Maybe. And then I I just knew, I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And (laughs) I, I literally, I released the film 
because I, I did a special thank you to Oshin and Echo in it, but Tiger never got a mention <laughs> because I had released the film and then two days later was like, I can't believe it, I'm pregnant. Um, they are an absolute joy. They're an absolute handful. Um, I'm sure you know yourself, three children. And, uh, you know, parenting comes with its own bunch of stuff that I wasn't ready for. So, uh, but they are, yeah, they're the absolute joy of my life. And they are my, they are my why, why I do everything. Beautiful. And my last question to you, as the expert in the room, what has this experience ultimately taught you? So much, um, so much about resilience, so much about acceptance, so much about patience, love, trust. And like I said, the community. And I, I think there's just, it, it, it has opened up my eyes to so much more than this sort of narrow focus that maybe I was living in because we're all battling these silent battles and pregnancy, pregnancy loss, children, birth, all of it is so complex. And I just think you know, it's just really opened up my eyes in terms of just how blessed and lucky we are that we're here and we can talk about it. And and there's people like yourselves who are doing everything they can to support people who may not have the support around them to get through any of that difficulty, any of that grief. It's just really nice to see a conversation opening and, and people fighting the good fight. And it, it feels nice that I can, I can own a small part in a bigger conversation that's starting to play out. Beautiful. Tahina McManus, actress, director, writer, producer, and of course, trailblazing advocate. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to check out Tahina's incredible documentary, Misunderstandings of Miscarriage, it's available now on SBS and Apple TV. And we will also put links in the show notes to the organisation Pink Elephant that we've mentioned a few times during this episode. To enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr. Golly and the Experts wherever you listen. And for any information on my sleep programs or new book, head to drgolly.com. And just before you go, I have a small favour to ask. If you are enjoying this podcast, I'd love if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear these incredible stories just like Tahina's. <laughs>